How ready are you, Abby? So ready. So ready. All right. Well, I'm so ready too. Hey. So welcome to Ed Technical, a podcast where we speak with leading researchers, practitioners, and educators about the cutting edge of AI and education. We're your hosts, Owen and Libby. Libby spends a lot of time thinking about the intersection of edtech, AI, and education at the Jacobs Foundation. Owen is in the middle of actually building an AI-driven chatbot called Rory, alongside very slowly completing his PhD on natural language processing and education. Hey, harsh. That was harsh, but fair. Uh, okay, so what is Ed Technical? Why are we doing this? Well, firstly, Owen, Ed Technical is a strictly no hot take zone. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. Who, who, who decided that? Me. No hot takes, especially not from you. Okay, well, I mean, I guess probably right, because our ultimate goal here is to get some time to get into the details and really maybe sometimes get in the weeds, uh, discuss with experts what's actually going on with cutting-edge innovation in ed tech, right? Yeah, and importantly for us, we really want to make the connection between all the exciting innovation and the practical implications for teachers and learners. And that's partly because we're both former teachers ourselves. So that perspective is super important for us on this podcast. Libby, was that just a long-winded way of saying we're doing it for the kids? (laughs) We're always doing it for the kids, of course. All right. Well, now that everyone knows we're doing it for the kids, let's get started. Let's go. Uh, Who are we talking to today, Libby? Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dora Dembski, an assistant professor at Stanford. She's been thinking about the implications of large language models in education for a while. Was that her official bio or did you just make that up? I just made that up. That was my, that was the best one liner that I had. I guess also just for listeners, um, I'm sure you've heard of what a large language model is. We're talking about ChatGPT here. There's lots of other versions, obviously. Uh, but these are, in a nutshell, models that have been trained on large corpora of text and have a really deep understanding of the statistical properties of language and now can produce some pretty impressive uh, examples of writing in, across a variety of contexts. We'll get into more detail across other episodes, but I just wanted to signpost that in case we weren't sure with the uh, jargon. So what's up with Dora? I think Dora's work is super interesting and relevant to lots of um, teachers and people working in schools today. She's doing some super interesting work around teacher coaching, um, which is something really close to my heart personally. And her research is looking at how to automate um, the giving of feedback to teachers and instructors. Yeah, that's super interesting because giving teacher feedback is super labor intensive. Because, you know, the way it's usually done is you have to have another person watch your whole class to give you feedback. So if you think about that, that's someone who could be teaching a classroom and instead they're just watching you. Um, what was your, When you were teaching, what was your experience of receiving feedback, Libs? I really uh, welcomed feedback, particularly early on, because it's, well, I found it really tough early on. And so I found getting feedback from someone who I had good rapport with and trusted and I saw as really credible really helped me to figure out um, how to be a better teacher in the classroom and how to juggle some of the challenges that are thrown at you really early on. And I found that super valuable. So I think a question for me is how do you recreate some of those aspects of what makes feedback valuable, the trust, credibility, rapport in an automated system? Mm, Yeah, I wish I could offer some advice. My first year teaching, I was only observed twice. Actually, the third time I was trying to get a job and the person told me I was absolute garbage. So um, I obviously needed more observation earlier to that. You need more feedback. So maybe you'd be a prime candidate. 
Exactly, exactly. I could just get ChatGPT to tell me I'm a bad teacher despite trying hard. Um, but in all seriousness, I think it is super valuable, especially when it's done right. And so I do think it's um, it's really interesting because you know you don't get that much. It's labor intensive. So it'll be interesting to see you know what Dora thinks. Is this a possible avenue? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll talk with her about some other stuff, but that's the main area. So should we get started? Yeah, sure. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Dora about that. Yeah, lots of points interested to dig into today. Let's go. So Dora, thanks so much for joining us for the second episode of Ed Technical. We're really excited to speak to you today. Hi, everyone. Thanks to Libby and Owen for having me. I'm, I'm Dora Dembski. I'm an assistant professor at the Graduate School of Education at Stanford. And my background is in linguistics and natural language processing. So my work mainly focuses on using NLP or natural language processing tools to support educators, for example, by giving them feedback on their instruction or analyzing textbooks to understand what biases they might contain so that they could be improved and helping teachers give feedback to their students. I'm happy to share more about each of these directions. You've been thinking about some of these issues to do with large language models and how they can support educators and implications in education for a few years now. But the rest of the world has only recently awakened to the work in the space and the implications for education. So just interested to hear how has your life changed in the last six months post chat GPT? Well, a lot has changed. I actually started this professorship in September. And then who would have thought that ChatGPT would would be released and just a few months into my new role. And like before that, I had to explain to people what NLP was or what the language models. I didn't even mention that because it was obviously such a technical jargon. So it's been a really overwhelming, but in a good way and also in challenging ways. But I'm really glad that people are realizing both the potential of this technology to transform education for the better, but also about its limitations and risks. I think that if it was more of a slower change rather than a sudden transformation, then I worry that these conversations about risks and limitations might not have even been triggered. So I'm really glad that everyone is now brought into these conversations. On that, I was wondering if what's something you think it does really well? So as you know, these large language models have been around for a while, since 2019. And it started out with like less powerful and less well-performing models than ChatGPT. And with the advent of these newer, more powerful technologies, obviously I did have a vow moment of like, it is really, it is generally really coherent language and it can generate more than just a couple of sentences, like several paragraphs of coherent and meaningful language. And I've been especially impressed by how it can help you debug your code and previous models just couldn't do at all. And it not only gives you code that works, but it can explain what it does and it can conversationally debug it for you. Uh, and obviously it relates to education because you can actually teach people with zero technical background how to code. That was the most mind-blowing thing to me. But at the same time, as a kind of having a trained eye for the issues that it has, I still see many of the problems that I saw in previous iterations of similar models. Like even in math, like you probably know, GPT is not that great at math. It's not that great at pedagogy necessarily. You probably know Camigo and they did a lot of prompt engineering to try to uh, 
put in some more like Socratic dialogue principles around it, but I'm just not convinced that we are there yet in terms of it, it being a good teacher. You are talking there, Dora, about how it's really important to not lose sight of some of the realities and the sort of settings that the technology is used in. And really interested to, to hear more from you on what some of your takeaways were on one of your recent pieces where you're looking at can ChatGPT be a good teacher coach? which I think there's been some interesting discussion and interest in the space. What were you looking at in the research and what were some of the kind of main takeaways? Yeah, of course. I've been working with these large language models that are not generative. So they're mainly for measurement. So let's say classification or, or like regression. Like in the case of classroom discourse, you might want to identify a specific talk move that a teacher uses. For example, how much they build in students' ideas and you could use these models to detect those moments, quantify them, pull them out, and then show it to a teacher. So that's something I've been doing for a while. These generative models have the potential to go beyond measurement and actually give teachers more personalized suggestions and feedback on their instructions. So you could pull out examples from your transcript and then explain what you did well, or if there was a missed opportunity for you to encourage student reasoning or student engagement or build on their ideas. So I was really interested in whether ChatGPT could do all those things. And one of the main motivations of this whole research direction is that currently, in many contexts, teachers don't have the opportunity to receive any personalized feedback whatsoever. So if we could improve teacher quality, we could improve student outcomes. Um, in K-12 context, teachers do get some type of a training and there's like classes of observation, maybe a couple of times a year where a coach sits in and helps a teacher, but it's not really scalable. And also there's mm -hmm. there are potential issues around like how representative is that one time that the coach set into your class. So what if you could get all that feedback automatically, kind of like a Fitbit and, and you could use that information for like self-reflection and improvement. So what we did was we took a large data set, about 2,000 hours of math, elementary math classroom transcripts that were already coded by experts. So we input transcript segments and, and then input items from the rubrics, these rubrics that researchers have developed and ask ChatGPT to both score the teacher's instruction using these rubrics, let's say about positive classroom climate, and then ask it to explain why it gave it that score. And then had teachers with several decades of experience rate that feedback. And we found that ChatGPT was, was not good at scoring at all. Understandably, it's not really well calibrated for the task of scoring. It is giving really, really generic feedback that restates what the teacher already did. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes it was give what the teacher has done as a suggestion. But it just shows that these models can't really extrapolate beyond what they've seen in their training data, which is really interesting. It sounds like you'll see the technology as having potential generally, but that it's not quite there yet in terms of delivering the types of results that might be impactful and useful for teachers. Exactly. Like it lacks the type of domain knowledge. It has trained on no data at all from this pedagogically important domain. So I'm not surprised why Conmigo or efforts to uh, use the models for teaching are not super great necessarily. 
we have think- another project too where we are doing something like Can We Go, focused on very targeted areas of learning. So we're responding to a student's mistake. And what we find is that if we give the model information from expert teachers around what they think the source of the misconception is or what strategy should be applied, motivated by the teacher's domain expertise and to what they see the students trying to do, then it does pretty well. But to infer that entirely on its own, it's yeah. not doing very well at all. Maybe just provide some context for listeners. One way to break down different approaches to get better performance with large language models is that you can retrain the model or kind of do a lot of pre-training as they call it, on like a really massive amount of domain-specific data. Then there's fine-tuning where maybe you take this model that's already been trained and you give it thousands of examples of a very specific task, it's like kind of leveraging an underlying understanding of language. And then the third strategy is using context or prompting strategies where you give the model small numbers of examples some and very specific instructions or you break down the steps to get it perform better. But it sounded to me that you think there's potential in all three of these, but it sounded like the last thing you were just saying was if I kind of pull out a very small segment of this transcript of teacher interaction and I give it some context from an expert teacher, then the model will do a decent job at maybe yeah. making a recommendation of the teacher. Exactly. Exactly. So I guess this is just to say that we think that there's there should be an expert in the loop or like a teacher in the loop where all these educational applications, not just because the models are not quite there yet to do everything on their own, but because also of the sort of importance of the human element of teaching. There have already been studies that show that if the student thinks they're interacting with a robot, no matter how good that robot is, this mm. that's just not going to be as effective, even if they, even compared to a human that's maybe less good pedagogically, um, mm. because there's that human element. And so, Dory, you were kind of talking through there some of the limitations with the current models being used in like off the shelf way as automated teacher coaches. Is there any other research that you're involved in that's involved with providing formative feedback to instructors that you think? is more promising in terms of the use of the models as they are today off the shelf. So I do have a, a project which is helping teachers write better feedback to their students and incorporate other types of pedagogically grounded uh, principles in their instruction. And so we find that the models do pretty well at those tests if you prompt them, even with just like pretty generic prompting, like here are some principles, tenets of growth mm-hmm. mindset. And this is a collaboration with Dr. David Yeager at UT Austin, who is a mindset expert. So we've been using his research to, to develop better approaches to prompting the model to then use growth mindset. And we'd run an evaluation with students who were blinded to the source of the response. Like we had the original teacher response the model generated one and we had like an teacher one that was the teacher was trained in the growth mindset framework. And we found that the students consistently rate the model generated one as more mindset supportive. So Mm. it's really nice to see those things. I don't think, again, I would trust a model to just interact with a student on its own. But if there's an, there's a teacher in the loop, I think that that combination could be really positive. Let's move on to warm takes. I feel like Libby doesn't like the term warm takes. (laughs) There's also hot takes out there at the moment. So we're trying to find a balance between quick insights that are 
you know, evidence, research informed. And what, I think what takes is great. I like it. So something that is commonly misunderstood, even among moderately technical audience. I don't know if this is a misunderstanding, but more just a nuance about these newer models that echoes what I said previously. Think about improving the model equates changing the data. And so it is true that the data determines a lot of the model's behavior, so the training or fine-tuning data. But especially with these newer models like GPT-4 that have these just additional training with reinforcement learning, with human feedback, or potentially other guardrails that we just don't know about, it is more than just the data. So for example, we have actually fine-tuned some of the earlier models like that are fine-tunable, GPT-3 or something, on the test, and it didn't really perform well. And one reason why, why that was likely the case, and it echoes like what Sam Altman said, is that a lot of the sort of guardrails or quality features break when you fine-tune. Next one take. This is my favorite one. What quasi-heterodox opinion you have relating to NLP and education? I just feel like most people talk about the LLM's applications to education in the student-facing way, plagiarism, mm. student homework, all that is really important. But I guess for the reasons that I spoke to you about earlier, I think this, there's this whole area that is getting less, comparatively less attention, which is how to support the teacher. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. Just like in all that discussion, I think you're spot on about that. Absolutely. And my favorite warm take question. So any advancements, findings, research areas you think might not pan out or hold up, but would be game changing if it does? That's a really good one. I do worry that in the end, like with so many things, this technology is mainly going to be used to make the rich richer and to give better opportunities to those who already have them. So I, I think it's not necessarily a research question, but more a big picture mm. world question is mm. can we really try to shift the focus on using these technologies to serve those who can most benefit from them? I think what you are doing at Rory, it's amazing how you are using these models, if I'm understanding correctly, to give people access to educational opportunities who are in remote parts of the world and may not have a lot of access to the to resources and an expertise to otherwise learn those things. And I think you are maybe one of one of very few initiatives that I know of that's that's doing that. So I think there is a huge potential in that direction. Like it would be a world or game changer if we really were able to give access to everyone. I'd say maybe the minimum requirement is that they have a smartphone but that they could learn like about anything they would want. You started to allude there to some of your kind of more big picture reflections about, you know, what some of their, your concerns are about the trajectory for how this could develop. Would love to hear more about what are the three things, let's say, that you think needs to happen to make sure that LLMs become a positive, useful force within education. I think one, we should be working very closely with experts. So that means like educators mm -hmm. and even like students who, are, who like know what they need or mm -hmm. and like people in general who have like education researchers who have studied education for a very long time and don't have to reinvent the wheel 
like with this process, product, paradigm, I sometimes hear like computer scientists or other people like use it as like, as if they invented this like new idea, but this has been around for a very long time. I think that it is an issue at the moment that these models are not quite trained on educational data, but they are used for educational purposes. And then the third is solving some fundamental technological issues, like in a lot of the like, really under-resourced areas where even internet might be a problem where like people don't have smartphones. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can't get a language model to them if those are a barrier. And then, as you probably also know, it doesn't work equally well for, for speakers of different languages or dialects, etc. So getting there requires all these fundamental technologies mm -hmm. to be there to begin with that we should address. Yeah, Dora, thanks so much for the time. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for the great questions and the opportunity to share some of my work. So what did you think? Yeah, that was great. I really loved hearing from her. I just, I really love her kind of orientation and her desire to like re research in classrooms and schools and think about things from the perspective of teachers. Obviously, that's like a kind of bias of mine, being a teacher myself, but I just don't think there's enough people with that type of orientation and her ability to have a foot in both worlds, I think, makes her research like particularly insightful and interesting. How about you? You got some good shout outs there for Rory? I mean, the best guests are always the ones that agree with you. It's one fun bit. I really liked uh, her anecdote about um, how even if students rated the quality of the advice or outputs higher, they were less motivated. And so this point that qual teaching quality or pedagogical quality doesn't map 100% onto motivation and vice versa, which, you know, I think that probably even with humans, this matters. Like sometimes there were teachers who I liked a lot and I had a lot of fun with, but those weren't always the same teachers who I learned the most from. Like they're, they're kind of maybe correlated, but not perfectly. So I thought that was just a really interesting point and kind of a flipping the point on its head from, from Daisy's point last week where you need someone to be accountable when things go wrong. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's lots of uh, hot takes out there which uh, are talking about the importance of human in the loop, but actually getting into the specifics of how that could look and what that means for specific use cases, I think is really valuable, which was, which was great to hear from Dora on. I think... A kind of connecting point for me across Daisy and Dora's conversations was around the limits of large language models for educational use if we're taking them right off the shelf. So using ChatGPT for assessment or providing feedback to teachers. Um, and I think that's a really important kind of note of caution that, that both have sounded across both episodes around people needing to recognize the limitations um, of these models without some additional training or uh, clever prompt engineering. So I think that was that was pretty powerful to hear similar perspectives for, from both interviewers. Yeah, I think there was definitely a um, harmony between those two points. I guess that we kind of touched on this last week, but I, I also think that I'm, I think obviously one approach is make the model better, but I think another approach can be be more granular about what task or function you're expecting the model to complete. And so, you know, something like offering feedback on teacher transcripts, that's immensely complex, right? There's probably 20 sub processes in there if we really think about it. And so when we say, oh, can the model just do this big chunk of work? Yeah, probably can't. And so you know, one approach is to say, oh, we need to make the model better. Another approach is like, hey, these models just are kind of suck. Or a third approach is to think, hey, 
what types of things can the model do well based on what I know about their function already? Is that a useful subcomponent in a workflow? So maybe, for instance, we would um, rate the teacher teacher's lesson or their talk with students holistically with a human and then have the model pick out specific teacher moves. And that could be a way that you kind of break apart the work. So I think that I feel that if you kind of mix certain components of a workflow and pass some of them off to a model and then some of them off to a human or whatever your current process is, you might be more successful. But I, I wonder if there's a question as to what the alternative is, like what would be happening otherwise? And if yeah. you're working in a setting where what would be happening otherwise is high quality one-on-one expert tutoring or coaching, then sure, it's not going to be that useful and it's going to be worse than what would be happening otherwise. But if you're working in a setting where there's literally nothing, like there's no other option for a student or a teacher to mm. get some sort yeah. of motivational support or advice, I, I wonder if the calculation changes slightly. That makes sense. I, I am a little disappointed, though, you didn't sneak in the phrase, uh, the affordances of a technology, because I last episode, I was able to sneak in uh, socio-technical. So I know we highly encourage listeners to uh, sign up to a technical jargon bingo and uh, see yes. see see how quickly you can tick off. Okay, this is a new this is a new game for episode three. Uh, please message Libby or myself on Twitter and tell us what our word of the day should be. And if you guess our word of the day before we announce it, you get a t- to be determined prize. Anyway, I think that's all for today. Um, We have some exciting guests coming up next, but we can't tell you yet. They're very secretive. I'm going to hand it off to Libby to close us out. Great episode. Thanks for listening. This has been Ed Technical, a podcast where we speak with researchers, practitioners, and educators about the cutting edge of AI in education. And we'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.